But it's a wonderful prophecy. It's a very important prophecy. It's a, a prophetic book. Micah lived at the same time as Isaiah. With the same kind of problems of Assyria coming in from the north to take Gollop, uh, Gollop to, to swallow up uh, Israel and come right up to, to Jerusalem. He's living in that particular time period, but he, while Isaiah lived in Jerusalem, uh, Micah lived down in Morshet. Morshet in, is in the Shvelah. The Shvelah are the lowlands. So you have the hill country that goes up to 25, 26, 2700 feet above sea level, and then you come to the Shvelah, which is generally 1500 feet above sea level, and then you come down to the coastland. But that Shvelah area uh, it was an area where Assyria would come in quite forcefully and, and, not, and do a lot of damage. I mean, just not damage, just destruction and killing. Uh, but he was a prophet that lived there in a small village called Mereshet. A lot of his prophecy is, is quite clear. We can read it and know exactly what he's talking about. Uh, some of his prophecy is not so clear. And believe it or not, I do not understand it. <laughs> uh, that's pretty easy to say. Uh, but, but as we read this prophecy that we are looking at today, there is sufficiently, sufficient clear, clarity in that prophecy to see a number of specific details that have to do with the coming of the Christ child, the ruler of Israel. And so we turn our attention to Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 5a. Let us stand as we read God's holy and precious and infallible word. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler over Israel. His goings forth are from long ago from the days of eternity. Therefore he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has borne a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. And this one will be our peace. Our Father, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Micah, the name Micah, means who is like God. So whenever you looked at Micah there, who is like God, reminds you, remind you of that. And uh, the entire book of Micah uh, is, refer is referred to by scholars as a reeve. Uh, in English, R-I-V, reeve. Reeve is translated case. It's, it's that God is bringing a case like, as in a courtroom. 
And God is the witness to the case. God is the prosecutor of the case. And God is the judge of the case. <laughs> if you've ever had a prosecutor coming after you, that's not something that you want. If, he's, if you have someone who's both witness and prosecutor and then is the judge of the case, then that is really something that uh, you would rather not experience. And he's coming to bring a case against Israel and Judah. Both are being indicted. Both have sinned. And both have a punishment set out in Micah for what is happening. So I want to read a couple of the passages first to get us into Micah. Uh, in chapter 1, the very first words that we read after, after the introduction are, Hear, O peoples, all of you, listen, O earth, and all it contains. Let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. Behold, the Lord is coming forth from his place. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. Here comes the prosecutor and the judge. The mountains will melt under him. The valleys will be split like wax before fire, like water poured down a steep hill. All this for the rebellion of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. That's the cause. Now you have to remember that Israel and Judah were the Old Testament church. They were the church in the Old Testament. It was a church with the form of a state. Today we have a church with the form of a body. But it's a church nonetheless. These were the people of God. These were not the secularists. These were not the Assyrians or the Babylonians or some of these other uh, uh, nations in the world that did not know God and, and acted accordingly. These were God's people. In chapter 1, he continues along that vein until he gets to chapter 2. And when he gets to chapter 2, uh, he begins to, to focus specifically on charges, on specific charges about the people of, of Israel and Judah. Woe to those who scheme iniquity, who work out evil on their, their beds, when morning comes, they do it, for it is in the power of their hands. They covet fields, and they seize them, and houses, and take them away. They rob a man of his house and a man of his inheritance. And he goes on, keeps on continuing to enumerate the sins of, of the people. Sins that are not uncommon today, although the, we're living in a secular world. But all of them uh, do not understand commandment number 10, thou shalt not covet. It's interesting, isn't it? When God created uh, his people, Israel, he gave ten commandments, which were the moral commandments underlying all of the law uh, these moral commandments were. And he included in those ten commandments, thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not covet. But, and and that uh, what is what was happening here. Then in chapter 3, he turns its focus to the leaders of Israel and charges them. Here now, heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? You who hate good and love evil and tear off their skin from them and their flesh from their bones, who eat the flesh of my people, strip off their skin from them, break their bones, chop them up as for a pot and as meat in a kettle. 
Behind this colorful language here is the image of a shepherd, but of a bad shepherd, a bad shepherd. This is an image that we find in, in a number of places in the prophets, but especially in uh, Ezekiel 34 and Jeremiah 23. For example, there, Ezekiel begins chapter 34, Woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves, should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly you have not strengthened, the diseased you have not healed, the broken you have not bound up, the scattered you have not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost, but with force and severity you have dominated them. This is a picture of the, of, that he is painting in terms of the case that is being brought against Israel and against Judah uh, at that time. Israel, Judah, Jerusalem have sinned and sinned badly and judgment is to come. Nothing's going to stop it. No miracles. No crossing of the Red Sea, parting of the Red Sea. Nothing like that. He's going to allow the judgment to come upon them and we'll see that it will be for a time uh, as we look at, at the prophecy we're about to look at. Then all of a sudden, there's nothing there about the case. The whole tone changes. Hope is, begins to come from the lips of uh, Micah. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler over Israel. But as for you, Bethlehem, uh, sons of bread, uh, Ephrathah, one who is fruitful, which certainly Bethlehem was in terms of, of, of the history that, you, that we know. Too little to be among the clans of Judah. A clan, this was a word that meant literally 1,000. Translated 1,000. Uh, Eleph. And you translate it 1,000, but, but when it's put in this kind of a context, it could be uh, translated like a family or a clan. Uh, as it is uh, here. But when, when Joshua came into the land, he divided the tribes of Israel up into clans, each of the tribes into different clans, and those clans were for fighting. Uh, so, and they all, each clan had a leader. And, and they would be for defense or for war, or as, as they were going into the promised land, they would be for, for taking the land, but they would all be organized according to these clans. What he is saying is too little to be among the clan. So it's small, insignificant, really of, of uh, no, no account, really. But from them will go a ruler, one who will be a ruler over Israel. From nothing, not even able to form a clan, to be, to, from them, the, they'll be the source of a ruler of Israel, and then he's going to continue on with describing the specifics of the ruler. But one would have thought that the ruler would have come out of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the capital, the city. Everything naturally pointed to Jerusalem. They, that was the home of David, King David. He lived there. He died there. That, that was where kings lived. That was where kings died. When the Magi came 
from where, where they came from, from Persia, wherever it was that they, they originated from, from the east, uh, they came to Jerusalem, and properly so, because they thought that's the capital, that's where we'll find them. No, they were sent on to that little town of Bethlehem. But I wanted to just point out, this is really a lot like God, what God would do. Uh, God loves the small. He loves the little. He loves the insignificant, those who are of no account. And I'm reminded, of course, as we all are, of 1 Corinthians 1, where Paul writes uh, in verse 26 following, For consider your calling, brethren, that there are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. The base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are, that no man should boast before God. God has chosen little Bethlehem to be the place where, where the ruler will come, from where the, the ruler will come. <laughs> Not Jerusalem, not some major metropolis there uh, in those days, but, but little Jerusalem or little Bethlehem. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth to be ruler over Israel. And now we come to some of these verses that are sometimes hard to understand, but we'll try. Now Micah cites specifics about the ruler to come out of Bethlehem. And first we learn of something unheard of. His goings forth are from long ago or from days of eternity. Actually, if you have your Bibles open, some of you may have the translation origin. And that's no doubt a better translation. His origin, that's where he's from. His origin is from long ago from the days of eternity, the parallelism there. From long ago, from the days of eternity, this raises multiple assumptions. Uh, takes us back a bit of time. This ruler is going to be born in the future, but his origin is from long ago, from days of eternity. And here you have a prophecy about his coming in the future, his, his days from eternity, which suggests some kind of providence, but it all suggests pre-existence. And if it is suggesting pre-existence, which I think it is, rather clearly, you're also talking about some aspect of divinity involved, though it doesn't say divine here. It just says that his origins are from long ago, from the days of eternity of eternity. And I guess we could go on trying to figure all the assumptions out on that, but let's read on. Therefore he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. Now he would refer to God, I would suppose, that them would refer to Judah. He would give them up until the time, and it gives us a specific time set when she who is in labor has born a child. Well, give them up does not sound good. 
That does not sound good. Of course, we know that God gave Israel up to Assyria immediately following the prophesying of, of, of Micah and of, and of Isaiah. And chapter 4 in Micah actually ends by saying that, that you will be carried out or carried off to Babylon. So he's talking about Judah being carried off to Babylon, being given over. But if it's until the time in which uh, she who is in labor has born a child, that's a rather long time, which takes you through the Medo-Persian Empire, the days of Esther and, and others during that particular time frame. It takes you through the, the Greek Empire that Alexander the Great set up and some, some of the problems with Antiochus Epiphanes and so on during that time all the way to the empire of, of Rome, uh, at which time, until a time that she who is in labor has born a child. During this whole time, the throne of David is really no more literally, physically. There's no king sitting on a throne of David. They're all in exile or they're going into oblivion in terms of being remembered. Time is just proceeding on. Uh, until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. And then verse, four, uh, verse 3 continues, then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. His brethren, does that refer to Jews only? Or does that refer also to what the promise that Abraham had in Genesis 12, 3, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed? Well, that's uncertain. Uh, but the remainder, the, the prophets often use the, the word remnant. Is the remainder, the, those who are left over after being, after this time over a period of years has devastated uh, the Israelites and the Jewish people? Uh, perhaps. But this is one of those uh, cryptical kind of statements that you're not quite sure exactly how to apply it or how how to bring it about, but nevertheless, someone's going to return <laughs> to the sons of Israel, and that'll be good. And then, however, we see the consequences of his rule in, in uh, verse 4, and he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Now we're getting back to something that we can tell for sure. Uh, he will arise and shepherd, some have the translation, he will stand, either way. He will stand and, and shepherd or feed. The word shepherd is literally shepherd, so I'm not sure why the translation feed is in there, but he will arise and shepherd his uh, flock in the strength of the Lord, Yahweh, and the majesty of the name of Yahweh, his, his God. If you, if you go to Israel, it won't be long before you are passing by a field and you'll see some sheep there and you'll see a shepherd standing. And that shepherd is standing there just watching over the sheep and caring for the sheep and letting them uh, eat uh, where, where the shepherd uh, is. And of course in the evening he'll find a fold where, which is basically a bunch of uh, makeshift stones build up so there's sort of a fence and there's a, a 
a door that, where you don't have the stones, where the sheep can go in, and, and uh, then the shepherd will lie there in that door, so he becomes the door to protect the sheep during, during the night. And, and uh, all of this the shepherd does. The shepherd cares, the shepherd loves, the shepherd leads, the shepherd feeds, the shepherd uh, protects uh, his, his sheep. And what it is saying is that this ruler, who is the ruler of Israel, uh, is, is uh, from, well, as if we take the whole prophecy so far, that he, he will be coming out of Bethlehem he, he will, his origin will be from long ago, from days of old, and he uh, will come, he will be one who is born and uh, who is the shepherd of Israel. That's a lot, a lot so far to describe who this ruler is that is in this particular prophecy. Then Micah adds, and he will be great, and they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. And here we come to another dimension, which is his goings forth are from past, from long ago, but he's going to be great to the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. Regarding his greatness to the ends of the earth, we're reminded of Isaiah and Habakkuk that suggests that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Or by Zechariah, uh, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one, and his name the only one. In the New Testament, in Luke 1, Mary is told by the angel, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. And he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. This prophecy along with all of the other prophecies that we know and the like are beginning to come together. Into a picture. Of someone we know. Who was born. At a particular time. Finally, we're told that he will be our peace. This one will be our peace. Of course, we, we know already from the New Testament that Christ is our peace. We, we read in Romans chapter 5, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That peace is a status. We're no longer under the wrath of God, this prosecutor, <laughs> this judge, God. We're no longer under the wrath of God. We're at peace with God. So it's a, it's a status. But also you remember that Jesus said before he left, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. There is a peace, an internal peace that we have. So we have both an internal peace and we have a status of peace before God. But I think that Micah might be referring to a day yet to come when we're gathered around the ruler and he shepherds all his people and all of his majesty and his greatness and his, uh, which extends to the ends of the earth where there will be endless peace. And that too is found in many of the prophets uh, speaking of that day in which to come.
So that is Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 5a. Now I, I want to stop and reflect for a few minutes on this. Someone has said biblical prophecy is not entertainment for the curious, but it's encouragement for, for the serious. And it's been fashionable in the past among a few evangelicals to hold what is called open theism, where God does not know the future until it happens. That is, the future is still the future, and no one knows the future since the future is made up of decisions along the way. This is their view. And of course, God can deal with the future when it comes, but God can't know the future until it happens. That's their view. But that certainly is not the picture of what we get here. The prophecy uh, of hope here bears witness to the fact that God does know the future. And in fact, that he orchestrates the future. There's a ruler to be born in little Bethlehem. He is to be ruler over Israel. His goings forth or his origin is from eternity, uh, from long ago, from, from uh, eternity past, at days of eternity, hence his preexistence and his divinity. Yet it prophesies that God will give Israel over for a time, which he did, until a woman gives birth to a child, which she did, that a remnant will return to the sons of Israel, that this ruler will shepherd his people Israel, that he will be great to the ends of the earth, and that he will be our peace. Now that sounds like an awful lot like someone that we do know, and only one person we know fills or fulfills all of that as the ruler of Israel. And then we come to these remarkable passages in the New Testament. One be begins, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing first took place when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee from the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Now the interesting thing about that is that God, that God prophesied through Micah over 700 years prior that the ruler of Israel would be born in Bethlehem, in Ephrathah. And, he, and they were not in Bethlehem, Ephrathah. They were in Nazareth. But God then uses the king of Rome, Caesar Augustus, a thousand miles away from this remote village of Nazareth, to declare that there's going to be a census to, in order to take up uh, the names of the people and tax the people and find out how many there were throughout the kingdom, uh, that over a thousand miles away, he affected this poor peasant man and his wife, Mary, to, to leave 
when she was nine months pregnant and go all the way to Bethlehem, where she then gave birth according to what he prophesied in the Old Testament. I would say that this prophecy, that the prophecy of Micah bears fact to the idea that God does know the future. In fact, he orchestrates the future. And then we are reminded also of another passage. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who was born king of the Jews? They came to Jerusalem, not Bethlehem. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophets. They knew this prophecy and they understood it correctly. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you will come one forth a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Thank you, Lord Jesus.